The Holy Scripture this morning is taken from Revelations chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. Revelation 7, 9 through 17. Let us hear the word of God. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will, will spread his tent over them. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. May God bless this reading to our understanding and to our daily living. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I feel blessed to be here. worshiping with you on this day. Um, I hope you also feel blessed to be here worshiping together. Amen? Amen. Please join me in prayer. Gracious loving God, we give you thanks for this day that you have given us. That we may rest from all the labors of life and come into your presence at this time to worship you, Lord, and to be together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, as we now come, to hear your word, Lord, we come with open hearts, open mind, and open ears, and we pray that you would speak to us, O oh Lord. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit, that we may leave this place knowing that we've been touched by your word, and Lord, that your spirit is with us. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You all know Edison, New Jersey, right? It's in central New Jersey about, I would say about 50 minutes from here. Edison, New Jersey is a demographically very diverse town. According to the most, US, most recent U.S. Census data from 2015, 47.6% of the town's population identify themselves as Asian, including both Asian Indian and Chinese, while 40%, 40.4% to be exact, identify themselves as white. Given such ethnic and racial diversity of the town, it is not surprising 
to find that out of nine candidates who are running for a seat on the school board this year, five of them are ethnic minorities. Out of the five minorities, one person is a Latin American, one Chinese American, and three are Indian Americans. Jerry Shi and Falguni Patel are two of the candidates who are running for a seat in the school board this year. Jerry is a Chinese American, and Falguni is an Indian American. And this week, just days before the election, they were shocked to find flyers with the words deport stamped over their faces appeared in mailboxes around the town. And Dan Daniel is going to show the flyer, the picture image of the flyer that was sent all over the town in the, in the mailboxes. And you see the word deport there over their faces. The flyer improvised one of the slogans used in our last presidential election, make America great again, and read, make Edison great again, followed by these racist words. Chinese and Indians are taking over our town. Chinese school, Indian school, cricket fields, enough is enough. Are you surprised by this flyer? I'm not. I'm not surprised by this flyer. I am saddened by this flyer, but not surprised. Now, why is that? Why am I not surprised? Why aren't you surprised? It is because that is how our world has been from time immemorial. The truth of the matter is that the world in which our ancestors lived before us and that we live today is a world that has always been divided by race, gender, ethnicity, religion, beliefs, ideologies, classes, and by many more visible and invisible things. That is how it has always been, not just in America, but in all other nations and cultures as well. Ever since sin came into this world in the Garden of Eden, division has always been a part of our human struggle and tragedy. Unfortunately, the place called church is not exempt from this insidious power of sin. You know, I heard that our church, Teaneck United Methodist Church, back in the 1950s was a church whose entire membership was made up of only Caucasians. As some of you know this already, Wilma Jones, her husband, I forgot her husband's name. Lamar Jones, right. Wilma Jones, Lamar Jones, and their son Ronnie were the first African Americans to join this church in the 50s. You know, at that time, Dr. Blessing was the pastor of this church. And when the Joneses wanted to join the church, there were some families in the church who did not like the idea of African Americans joining the church. Maybe they were afraid that Teaneck United Methodist Church may become a black church if they let this African-American family join the church. But Dr. Blessing and other members of the church welcomed the Joneses and allowed them to join the church. This angered some of the members and few families left the church as soon as the church became integrated for the first time. You know, Jackie is sitting here and she tells me that she's the fifth African-American family to join this church. So there was a time in this church, even in this church, when 
people of minor, ethnic minority background, people of color were not welcome to become part of this church family. Today, Tinek United Methodist Church is a church that prides itself on diversity and has opened its doors to people of all colors, races, ages, genders, ethnicities, ideologies, and beliefs so that they may come and come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and to live together as God's children. Unfortunately, however, the power of sin and fear that is dividing us from one another is still at work in our church because the power of sin has not been completely defeated in us and in our midst. You know, when we, a couple of years ago, when we had a Korean church, you know, um, move into our church and use our church facility, you know, in the midst, the process of whether or not we should let them come and welcome them and use, let them use our church building as their church because they had to leave their old church and because of the financial trouble and they had to move and they need a, a new church to worship at. And when this issue came up, we were talking about it in trustees. And guess what? Even in that transitional time, I heard, room, I heard people, you know, not directly to me, but I heard people about the concern that this church may become a Korean church if we let the Korean people use our church building. See, things never change. You know, in the 50s, it was the black people, you know, and the, the, the members of the church worrying that this may become a black church. And now, when we have Asians worshiping or using the church building, the same voice comes again, but just different terms. This insidious power of sin and fear that is dividing us from one another is still at work in our church, in other churches, in our communities, because the power of sin has not been completely defeated in us and in our midst. Simply put, the place of our life in this world is one that is filled with much fear and that which is still under the power of sin. And for this reason, we see and experience brokenness, division, and distrust all around us. And race is not the only thing that divides us today. We are also divided by gender, religion, ideology, sexual orientation, different economic and social classes, different cultural orientations and values, and by many other things. And in our divided world, people distrust one another, oppress and abuse others, and treat others with contempt, disdain, and hate. Every time we turn on TV these days, we see them and we hear about them. And I'm sure that you also have experienced division, fear, and hurt in your own life as well. Almost every bad news that we come across in the media, ranging from international terrorism to police brutality against black people, to racism, to discrimination against certain group of people in our society, to kids and youth bullying others in school, can be explained in part by the sin of fear, distrust, and division in all humanity. You know, our life in this world is not only under the power of sin, it is expressed through fear, distrust, and oppression of others, and by the divisions we perpetuate in our lives, but it is also filled with so much suffering and pain. There is not a single person or family 
in this church and in our community who has never suffered the pain of losing a loved one or does not know someone with a serious and debilitating disease like cancer, Alzheimer's, and others. Just this week, we were shocked once again to hear the news of a sick and evil person who ran down many people with a truck in New York City that left eight dead and 11 injured. We only have to pick up a newspaper or talk to a friend to come across stories after stories of unexpected personal tragedies and sufferings. In our personal lives, as well as in our communal, national, and international life, we continue to experience man-made tragedies, natural calamities, and many forms of suffering. You know, as it is taught in Buddhism, life is indeed full of suffering. And that is the kind of place our world is in which we live. Our world and our life is full of suffering. You know, in our scripture today, we read about a place that is unlike our own. We often call this place heaven. John, who is known as one of the disciples of Jesus, describes a vision of heaven that he saw on the island of Patmos. And reading about this vision of heaven, we can learn right away that this place is clearly a place unlike our own. So I would like for us to study together what John has to say about heaven and what we can learn from it for our lives today. In our text this morning about heaven, there are four things that I want us to consider together. So I want you to take out your bulletin and the scripture. And I want us to study this together. And what can we learn about heaven that John describes? And what does it mean for us for our life today? So take out your scripture and let's just read verse 9 first. Okay, so let's read verse 9 together. And we're going to read the first half of the verse 9. Okay, ready, get set, go. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Right? The first thing that we learn about heaven is that it is a place where there is a great multitude of people in heaven. Now here, one thing that is important for us to note is that the people in heaven are from every nation, tribe, and language. In other words, heaven is a clearly a place of diversity, right? It's a place of diversity. Unlike our own place, heaven is not divided by race, gender, ethnicity, culture, or language. It is a place where the lines of division have been wiped out and everyone is accepted and welcome as if they're all one big family. Amen? What a, what a great news. Heaven is a diverse place where we will see people from all different nations, tribes, and cultures. And what does this mean? It means that those who do not celebrate and cherish diversity in this world will find heaven a very strange and uncomfortable place to be. Amen? Amen. Diversity is not just a cultural idea of our time. 
but it has always been a very deeply spiritual and heavenly idea. It is a biblical idea. In heaven, no one race will dominate or suppress or others or be discriminated by others. People of every nation, tribe, and language will stand shoulder to shoulder and welcome each other's presence and celebrate together. In that regard, heaven is a very special place unlike our own. Amen? Amen. And thank God for that heaven. Thank God for that heaven. And second is this. Let us look, read the second half. Let's read the, the whole verse 9 once again. Ready? Get set, go. After this, I looked, and therefore before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So the multitude of people here from all nations, tribes, and languages, they're all wearing what? White robe like this, white robe, right? They're all wearing white robe. The question is why? Why all these people in heaven wearing white robes? How is it that they all wear this white robe? Why? They don't like, are they colorblind? They don't like gold? They don't like green or yellow? You know? Why are they wearing white robes? The answer can be found later in the passage, verse 13 and 14. Let's go to verse 13 and 14. Let's read it together. Ready? Get set, go. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Amen. See, they're all wearing white robes because they have been washed in the blood of the lamb, who is Jesus Christ. Notice that the Bible does not say that these people have kept their clothes white all the time. It does not say that they never had gone dirty. Rather, they had their robes washed. That is why they are white. That means they have not been clean and white all the time. They had gone dirty. This is significant for us to note because what this means is that the people who make it into heaven are not the ones that have kept themselves from messing up that they are not the people who never makes mistakes. They are not the people who never mess up, who never get dirty. They are the ones that, that have been watched, and that is why they are white. Now consider some of the people in heaven who are the, that we will meet, who are the great persons that we read about in the Bible, right? Look at David, for example. Do you think David, King David will be in heaven? Yes, he is, right? So King David, when we go to heaven, we'll meet him there. But look at King David. Who was the great king of Israel, right? He was, was he a clean person? No, not at all. In fact, he was an adulterer. And later when his adultery was about to be disclosed, he became a murderer to cover it up. Consider the great apostle Paul, right? When the mob stoned the deacon Stephen to death, what did Paul do? Paul stood by, side, by he stood by and watched and gave his assent to what they did, killing, murdering Stephen. Consider Apostle Peter. 
What was he? He was a traitor. He was a traitor. He was the right-hand man for Jesus. But at the, when, when Jesus most needed him, what did Peter do? He ran away. He betrayed Jesus. At the most crucial moment in Jesus' life, Peter denied that he had ever known him. These are the kinds of people who are in heaven. Adulterers, murderers, and traitors. It is important for us to understand that no one who makes it into heaven is good enough to be there. They are all there because they have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. They were all dirty people and had gone dirty at one time or another, but they were washed in the blood of the Lamb. And the Lamb in the book of Revelation refers to Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb that was sacrificed for our sins. In everyday language, we use the term scapegoat. And that means someone who has taken the blame, usually someone who really has done nothing or very little wrong, but who is made to take the blame for others. You know, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the perfect scapegoat. He never did anything wrong, but he took the blame for all of us. And he died. He died on the cross for our sins. This way he takes our guilt upon himself and washes our guilt away so that our robes can be pure and white. You know, everyone who makes it into heaven is there because they have, their, have they put their faith in the grace of Jesus Christ. Because they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You know, what this also means is that we are all, we're all going to be surprised by who we are going to see in heaven. Think about that. We're all going to be very surprised when we get to heaven because we'll see people we never expected to see in heaven. <laughs> if, this power of blood, if this power of the blood of the Lamb to wash away any and all kinds of sin is really true, if there's really power in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, then we will see people there who consider unforgivable and unredeemable. We will see in heaven people against whom we have long held grudges or prejudices, people from nations that we label as enemy or people we avoided in this life because of their poverty, disease, or place in life. They will all be there. Amen? Amen. Third, let's go to verse 12, 10. Verse 10 through 12. Ready? Get set, go. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You know, when heaven is depicted in romantic art, what we often find is a group of angels playing their harps. You know, white, wild people lounge around on clouds of ease as if on a perpetual vacation. But in the vision of heaven described in our text today, 
what we see is that heaven is actually a very active place where people are busy doing something. And what are they doing? In John's vision of heaven, people of every tongue and tribe and nation gather around the throne of the Lamb and they sing. They sing praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Heaven is a worshiping kind of place. And if you like singing hymns here on earth, just wait until you get to heaven. It will be amazing, amazing choir like you have never heard before. People are worshiping there. They are serving there. They're loving each other there. Heaven is, not, is a very active place where worship takes place, where serving one another, caring for one another, all these things take place there. Now, if you don't like to worship, then heaven is not a place for you. <laughs> heaven is not a place for you. And I hope they are very gracious up there because don't come to worship late, you know? I don't see anybody coming to worship late over there. Even if you want to come to worship late, I don't think the people will come to worship late there because this worship is so good up there. You can just wait to go to worship, right? Worship is what people do, what we will do in heaven. Worshiping God, worshiping the Lamb. Finally, the fourth and fifth. The fourth thing about heaven is found in verse 16 and 17. Let us read this together. Verse 16 and 17. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. Amen. Oh, I love that verse very much. I love that verse. You know, heaven, finally, is a place of healing. It is a place of personal healing where our loved ones, many of whom have suffered great physical or mental or emotional illness in this life, will be completely whole in the life to come. They do not suffer hunger thirst, or the scorching heat of the sun. And they are cared by the loving shepherd of life. And there is no more crying there, because whatever injustice they have suffered, whatever heartbreak they suffered, is redeemed and made right by God Almighty. In this sense, the healing that takes place in heaven goes beyond our own personal lives and the lives of our loved ones. In other words, heaven is also a place where all the injustices of this world will finally be made right, where the lowly will be lifted up, the mighty brought low, and where God's vision of a community of justice and peace and equality will finally hold sway. Amen? Amen. So when they talk about hunger, they will never again will they hunger. It's not just physical hunger they're talking about. You know how people hunger for righteousness? Jesus talks about in the beatitude, right? People hunger for righteousness. People thirst for justice in this world. But in heaven, they will no longer hunger for righteousness, for justice, for peace, for healing. Because God will take care of all of that. And God will wipe away all of the tears from their eyes. The healing that goes on 
in heaven will be a healing not only of body, mind, and spirit, but a healing of the entire social order as a lamb who is seated upon the throne takes on the role of gentle shepherd, leading his beloved sheep to springs of water where God wipes away every tear from their eyes. Heaven is a place of diversity and inclusivity where people from all nations, tribes, and culture and languages are together as one big family, where no one is higher or better than the other. Heaven is a place for people who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb and whose sins have been forgiven and are made whiter than snow. Heaven is a place where people offer praises of joy and thanksgiving to the Almighty God and to the sacrificial Lamb of God, Jesus the Christ. And finally, heaven is a place where there is healing and redemption. It is a place where scars of hard life on earth and tears of pain, anguish, injustice, and suffering are washed away. Now, one thing that all of us must remember as we think about heaven that all of us will go one day, is that heaven is not a place where we go only after we die. We can experience and get a taste of heaven here and now. Every time we welcome a stranger or a person who are different from us, every time we celebrate togetherness and diversity and inclusivity, we experience a little bit of heaven. Every time we humbly submit our sinful and messed up self to God and to Jesus Christ and seek to have our sins and dirty self to be washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ, we taste a little bit of heaven. Every time we gather to worship as God's people like today, praising and thanking and glorifying God in one voice, we experience heaven. Every time we do what we can do to help others experience healing, justice, and redemption in their lives. Every time we offer ourselves to be used by God as God's instrument of justice, peace, and reconciliation in this broken and hurting world, we have realized, we realize heaven on earth momentarily. Heaven is a place of hope and love and joy and peace. Thank God for that heaven and our place in that heaven. But let's not wait until we die to experience that heaven. Heaven does not start after we die, but something that starts here and now. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Grace and loving God, we thank you that our life in this world is not everything there is. We thank you that the power of sin that disease our lives in so many ways and our struggles and sufferings in this world are not the end for us. We thank you for heaven and for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ who became the sacrificial lamb for all of us. We thank you for all the saints who have gone before us and who have entered into your heavenly glory where there is no more crying. 
May this hope and assurance of heaven be our strength and guide as we continue our life journey in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.